here for quite some time and my children say, uh, certainly my youngest son says the best pizza that he eats in London, which is quite extraordinary. What I like that they produce as well is uh, that their first courses are fantastic, but also they do a venison ragu, which is just uh, brilliant. Uh, so it's very boring in some ways in the sense that I always order the venison ragu when I have my proper meal, but I may vary a little bit in terms of the first one. And I know the people here can always find a table, which is really brilliant. Where were you when you learned that the Lehman Brothers investment banking firm had collapsed in 2008? And what was the first thing that went through your mind when you found out? I do remember being at some big event just maybe uh, a week before Lehman's was let go, if you like. And we're all saying there's no way the US will do that. There's absolutely no way because, of course, they must know that that would be the end of the world as we know it. In the old days, you used to be able to do all sorts of things on the quiet. So the governor of the Bank of England, we would call in various banks and would make sure there was support that was necessary. I'm pretty certain there were many occasions in the past when banks were really not going concerns briefly, but that wasn't as transparent as had become during the period just before the financial crisis. So I think it was a mistake to let Lehman's go. And I still think that to this day. I thought it then and I think it now. Because the cost to, to the world economy was quite enormous. We still own the bulk of the Royal Bank of Scotland here in the UK. It has led to huge, huge consolidation among the banking sector. Uh, we have less competition than we had then. Uh, and I don't think we really saw some of the problems of globalization that had emerged before. How would you sum up the journey that Western economies have been on since the start of the crisis? Begin there was shock that this had happened because loads of practitioners in the markets didn't really expect it to happen. Not everyone, there were quite a lot of people who were forecasting it, but the majority were not. And certainly the interconnectivity of the financial sector, uh, given globalization, had just simply not been appreciated. What has happened since, of course, is the various monetary authorities took a lot more to each other. Then there was real serious coordination of tackling the crisis. Clearly, they had to rescue a number of the banks, but overall, there was an agreement that everyone would cut their rates, everyone would support the financial sector because financial stability uh, travels across from border to border. It's just not possible to think that you can insulate yourself in one part of the world from what happens elsewhere. In some parts of the world, it eventually uh, turned negative. Uh, we saw that in the EU, um, although not until about, seriously, until about 2014. But rates had been cut to practically zero. And there was huge monetary easing, by which we're referring to the governments actually buying government debt, not the governments, but the uh, banking authorities. So it would be the central bank of uh, the UK, it would be the Federal Reserve, it would be the ECB, it would be the Japanese central bank. They would buy government securities in the secondary markets from banks mainly, but other institutions too. Uh, that would, of course, ease some of the pressures of the head in order to be able to use the money that they got to lend to businesses and individuals, because otherwise nothing would be happening. And the path that the countries have taken is quite an extraordinary one. If you look at Europe, year after year what we saw was that lending was actually reduced very significantly. And it is only recently that finally there's more money going to the private sector 
than was the case for years and years and years because basically banks were deleveraging. They had to rebuild their capital ratios and what suffered was the economy as a whole. If you don't lend, if you don't have the proper financial system and if you don't lend for trade, then trade suffers and growth suffers. And for a while, um, the lucky thing was that emerging markets carried on growing, such as China and India. But if you have the Western world really slowing down, in fact, being in recession in large parts of it, there is a limit to how far those other countries can grow without the support of increased trade that they can take advantage of in the Western world. So we ended up with Brazil, after a few years also going into recession, we had the, the, the substantial fall in oil prices, which meant that Russia went into recession. So the reverberations of all this have been absolutely enormous. You had the Eurozone crisis, concern about countries leaving the Euro, and you had a number of bailouts, all because the countries had to support their banks and, and put loads of money into the financial system. And they had to borrow to be able to do that. And they had to borrow from the IMF, they had to borrow from uh, other countries that were doing slightly better. And the impact on their economies has been huge. I mean, Greece itself, which is perhaps one of the worst affected, saw GDP fall by 25-28% over a period of six years and huge increase in unemployment. There is still quite high unemployment across Europe. A lot of the populist movements we have seen um, have come about because of the very tough stance of creditors on a number of countries, and it has been a very painful passage. It has been a very long and complex time for people to navigate, and as you say, has resulted in so much misplaced blame. The explanation, the narrative has shifted to things like migration and hence what we've seen in the last two to three years, an EU referendum in the UK, the rise of far-right groups in Europe, and of course, the election of the US President Donald Trump in America. But globalism as a philosophy for 21st century politics and economics has faced heavy criticism for overlooking the internal wealth disparities of nation states in favor of projects that seek to enrich the aggregate of human society. In your estimation, can protectionism of the kind President Trump and various far-right parties across Europe stand for possibly thrive while other countries go on trading openly as they have done for decades? Protectionism is not good for anyone. It's a loss-loss, not a win-win. It's been proven to be the case before. And whenever it's been applied, it has had negative results and has tended to be abandoned. And I suspect that after a while, pressure from businesses in particular will also lead to a change in US policy as well. From where you stand, is the crisis over? And if so, how and when did it end? And if not, why is it not talked about anymore? The crisis is not over. The only reason why Europe is doing as well as it's doing at present is because quantitative easing is still happening in Europe. If it hadn't been for monetary easing, we would still be seeing very slow growth in Europe, uh, declines in lending and probably high unemployment. But it really is a continuation of all these measures. Very good question. Why aren't people talking about it? Well, some people are. Every now and then you see the article, maybe even in the Daily Mail. Alex Brummer has been pointing out quite a lot of that in his columns. Um, but you, you, uh, you see this. 
it very clearly still uh, in the fact that we've moved to a very slow pattern of world growth. World trade increased finally quite substantially in the last couple of years in the emerging markets and in the Western world, and mainly because there was a lot more funding available in order to finance that trade because of everything that the central banks have still been doing. Um, that, of course, may not uh, last very long. We, we now have all the straight concerns with uh, trade wars escalating. Uh, we've seen what's been going on between the US and China, but also more widely. I worry that some complacency step in, really, and that we will end up with a sudden shock, particularly since we are now, if you count the years, at the point where there should be another downward cycle starting. And with everything else going on, I personally think that the monetary authorities should remain very vigilant and that it is wrong to contemplate tightening uh, at this stage.